Box to box offside. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Hello and welcome to Box to Box Offside. You're with Rob Gilbert for a podcast where we profile a person whose life has been lived through football, either domestically or around the world. People who we watched on the pitch or watched on our screens, had our heart rates pumping as they described the moments in history. Those who wrote the pros and descriptions of iconic moments and the ones behind the scenes who set the stage for the stars on it. Now, this week's guest earned the title of trailblazer and pioneer the hard way. She's the woman who will forevermore hold the mantle of the Matildas' number one cap. And of course, her name is Julie Dolan. Julie started playing at the age of 14 and became Australian captain. I shouldn't say started playing. She became Australian captain at the age of 18. She started playing for Australia at the age of 14, leading the team out against New Zealand in 1979. Among her extraordinary achievements and awards, Stolen was named in the then Football Federation of Australia Team of the Decade for 1979-89, is a member of the Football Australia Hall of Fame and was awarded an Order of Australia for services to the game. Now, Australia played only occasionally throughout our 90s, but despite the opportunities, Dolan played 34 matches for Australia across a 14-year career, including 18 full internationals. A commanding central midfielder, she played in the World Invitational Tournament twice, the first Oceania Cup in 1983, and the 1988 FIFA Invitation Tournament in China. Stages attested to see World Cup was feasible. In 1988, the Australian Women's Soccer Association created the Julie Dolan Medal for the Best Female Footballer of the Year, and in 2016, football became the first major Australian sport to jointly name its prestigious award in honour of both legendary female and male Dolan awards with Dolan alongside national men's icon Johnny Warren and it's my pleasure to welcome Julie to Box to Box Offside. How are you? I'm very well and thank you so much for that introduction. Wow. Not at all. It's uh, When you put it all uh, together it's a it's a pretty impressive resume but uh, well, that's why we wanted to get you on Julie because I, I was saying to you off air that uh, mm. for pioneers and trailblazers who are still relatively young uh, unlike uh, uh, a lot of sports people who were uh, the the uh, the ones who began sport or, or a sport in in this country and around the world you know they're not with us anymore but you're very much with us and a, and a relatively young woman in her early 60s uh, um, you were born in 1961 and uh, um, and you're born in Sydney but um your, your mum and dad took the family over to New Zealand at a very young age. So, so tell us about those earliest memories of uh, of life in Sydney and, and New Zealand and and who who was the most formative influence on you that, that put a round ball into your hands? Because you wouldn't have thought between Sydney and New Zealand that a round ball would be the obvious choice. No, and, and interesting, just before I go on, um, that you say, you know, I'm still at, at this age now and look where football is. And, and that just gives you an idea of the the extraordinary growth of the women's game. Um, so, you know, you can have a pioneering or pioneering players uh, back in, you know, back in the day. And now, you know, we're seeing a World Cup on home soil, which, you know, it, it still blows me away each and every day when I think about that. But, yeah, um, initially, um, you know, born in Sydney, and then dad went over to New Zealand for work. And so we, we were over there for about oh, three or four years, um, came back to Sydney when I was six and headed out to the Sutherland Shire. So that, you know, and they were my early sort of days. And, yeah, there was no round ball or anything like that. And I think, you know, the, the um, idea of mum and dad sort of 
forcing us into or suggesting that we might participate in in any particular sport wasn't a thing you know it was whatever we wanted to do so I mean mum was a a champion diver and dad was a a a good AFL football player so um but it was you know we we were allowed to find our own direction and and that earliest memory of kicking a football around the earliest memory of kicking the football around was uh when I was in the backyard with my brothers I've got four brothers and um you know we'd just grab a round ball and start kicking the football around and um two of my brothers were particularly good players and the other two were quite sporty as well but um it was backyard footy and you know there's you know there's no no love lost there it's uh, a fight to the death you obviously like it you're having fun and um and you're competing with your brothers in the backyard but uh you know the the clubs that you played for in that area whether it was sutherland gaimia bay um you know what was uh, do you recall that first moment um that uh that you wandered down to uh a training pitch and and uh and got involved with the club for the first time i do actually it was uh through a friend at um, some hockey trials and she mentioned that she was going to head off to football training after the hockey trials and I you know said to her can I come along and so I did and that was uh my first foray into anything organized and that was for St George Budapest um Mm -hmm. and that was in about 1975 so um the St George Budapest team came together largely because of the work of Pat and Joe O'Connor um who were you know very instrumental in the early days in setting up organized sport for women um in in football so um without them you know i don't think we'd be so far ahead but that's where i got my start and uh you know it was great you know we'd head down there for a training session and everyone would be there we'd train with the boys we'd train with a lot of the girls and it was just a big you know pickup game essentially um and that's where football started for me so you're a very young girl at this stage, but um, your dad is a bit of a traveller and decides to to pack up again and, and relocate the family up to Alstonville in the Northern Rivers region of New South Wales in about 1972. And, um, That's about right, yeah. So, yeah starts um, up with a milk bar. You're about 11 years old at the time. Um, I think uh, a little bit older than that. Um, I was in high school. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I remember heading up there while I was in high school and, um, you know, finishing my high school years at, at Lismore High. And, uh, and, and, and even though you're well up north, um, you, your talent has already obviously been identified and, uh, and you got to know that, um, that highway between Sydney and, uh, and uh, the, the Northern Rivers region of New South Wales in the, uh, in the Kirklands bus, uh, as I understand it, travelling uh, uh, often as, as a young schoolgirl. Um, um, the, the highways wouldn't have been quite what they are these days. But, uh, but how, how many times would you have made that journey down to Sydney to, uh, oh. to, to play football? Yeah, look, over a number of years, probably from when we, we landed up the north coast until, you know, I left left school, really, and headed back to Sydney. So and so what would happen is, um, you know, Friday night, I'd get on the Kirklands bus and it'd be 12, 13 hour trip down to Sydney, get off, hang out with some of the, uh, the guys who played football. And then we'd go off to a training session, maybe play a game. Then on Sunday, we'd, we'd play a competitive game, a women's game. And um, 
get on the bus that night and uh, get off to school the next morning when it arrived um, back in uh, Ballina. And, and, and look, representative football in those days for, for young women was was not uh, a thing as such that that was codified and organised in the way that it is now. So, you know, you, you, tell us about that journey that, that took you to uh, to representing Australia in, in that 1975 women's side, which contested the, the first uh, AFC Women's Championship, which is now recognised as the Asian Cup. And, and this is the, the culmination of that story um, with Pat and Joe O'Connor in, 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 a, yeah. in a representative side under Sir Arthur George, uh, famously uh, allows the team to to wear um, the Australian crest on it, on its shirt. So you're 14 years old and, uh, and, and you're told that you, you picked in in this squad can you can you remember uh for us those times and the lead up to to, to that uh selection yeah i certainly do um and it was an interesting time because you know we're training with st george budapest and all of a sudden um i'm not sure of the selection process but there was a couple of uh players from ingleburn uh invited to join our club team and head overseas to to compete in this um, AFC Cup. So, um, you know, all of a sudden I found myself on that team and uh, off we went to the Asian Cup, what is now known as the uh, Asian Cup. So um, it was just our club team, a couple of other players from uh, the west of Sydney, and um, there we were. And, and it was just incredible over there because... We'd never played against, we didn't know what to expect. We never played against international teams. You know, we were still in the very formative stages of, of club football back here. So, um, yeah, to to play against teams from other countries was, was just uh, unbelievable. And at 14 years old, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was just jaw-dropping. Everything that I sort of came across was uh, just wondrous. And um, and at fourteen years old, to represent your country in a very uh, early stage of of the national side's development, um, who would have thought that uh, all these years later? And I, I don't want to jump too far forward because there is still a lot of discussion around that very side because it is not the side that's acknowledged as the first Matildas for various reasons, not the least of which you've described is it was largely a club side. Um, they yeah. didn't have uh, genuine national representation, but there's plenty out there, including some of your teammates at the time, who, who will argue that. Um, and uh, uh, it, it's it's something that, it's very difficult to to uh, come to a conclusion that that satisfies everybody, isn't it? But uh, oh yeah, particularly you know, and I was a part of that team, and uh, you know, well, and I was there for the selection process, so um, I do you know have first hand experience in in what went down, um, and yes, it, it is really really difficult to to you know appease everybody in terms of uh, how they're recognised, but I think. Um, Football Australia has you know, done a fair bit of research um, and are pretty satisfied that, you know, that doesn't meet that cr- criteria for national team selection. And you know, as, as far as I'm aware, you know, that's how it stands. And, and it is. It's, it's, it's really hard lines because, um, you know, what else were people going to do back then? But, uh, yeah, I think uh, the selection process after all, wasn't uh, 
a national selection process. But uh, what was a national selection process? And there's plenty online that people can go and research on their yeah. own and find out and make their own judgments uh, um, if they choose to. The Football Australia's uh, uh, issued a, a welcome to the football family, uh, uh, yeah. which um, which now officially recognises the players um, as, as having absolutely, played in yeah, yeah. But they're they're not the original uh, Matilda squad, which happens a few years later, and uh, it and does, so we, yeah, yeah. yeah. And this is this is um, eighteen uh, years old. Julie Dolan then uh, gets picked as the uh, as the first captain of, of this side in nineteen seventy nine. You play at Seymour Park in Sydney South. Uh, you play against New Zealand. Uh, uh, you know, still uh, four years from that uh, Asian Cup. Um, inverted commas. Uh, uh, there were you know working bees from from the club. Uh, you were you were still stitching on the. Uh, uh, the, the badges on your shirts. Uh, there, there was no such thing as a Matildas back then. It was the, the Australian side. Matildas hadn't been invented at this point. So, do uh, you recall uh, the the moment that you find out that you're uh, going to be the captain of this side? Yeah, I don't. I don't think anyone can ever forget that sort of uh, moment in their lives. And and it certainly was a momentous one for me. Um, you know, finding that out and then leading you know, the team out, you know, to battle against the old foes, New Zealand, um, on home soil. And, you know, it was a fabulous team that, uh, you know, I played with. And they they all were, but um, I think that one, you know, I have a special place in my heart for that particular, that team, that game, um, that whole series. And, uh, yes, the, uh, you know, I still get a, a bit emotional about the whole thing because it was just... Uh, it was it's one of those things you represent your country you wear the green and gold and and you're you know you're backed by a fantastic team it, it, it doesn't get much better no and um and some of those emotional memories come from the, the connection with the man who was the inaugural coach of, of that side jim shelby who you uh on the record is saying he's he's the most influential and uh, um and uh uh, well remembered coach of your your football career jim is uh, is a, an iconic person in australian football in his own right but tell us what it was about uh, jim back then because these days it's very common for uh, for crossover but between the men's and the women's game insofar as coaching is concerned. So, uh, again, a pioneer in his own right to, to be uh, the inaugural yeah. coach uh, of, of that side. Yeah, look, Jim um, was the coach that was, you know, I uh, always have maintained that he's basically responsible for the development of uh, my career. Um, and it all started, you know, just playing, coming up against uh, Connie, his wife, um, when she played for Ingleburn and, you know, getting to know each other through that. And then, you know, when the first Australian team started, um, I guess, looking at overseas tours, uh, Jim was the one who started getting camps organised so that our team could actually get together and train before we actually arrived at the uh, tournament. And I I, you know, I have very fond memories of those days as well. We, he'd booked the um, agricultural college out at Camden, and Camden back in those days was like a drive, like a day's drive away almost, um, because you don't have the M7, you don't have all those uh, freeways that we do these days. But um, yeah, so we'd all turn up at uh, Camden Agricultural College. Uh, we'd be there in dorm situations for about five days. 
and we'd, we'd train solid, you know, day in, day out. And uh, it was the first time, you know, I'd, I'd got, gotten to experience something other than, um, I guess, just a regular training session where there was a lot more uh, input about the structure of the play, you know, the, the reading of the game and positional play. And it, it was Selby. Uh, and he brought all that to the the game at that time, and and we weren't as as women in those days. We weren't necessarily getting that kind of that kind of coaching. Um, the coaching that we did receive was, you know, uh, to the best of all the coaches' ability. But uh, Jim just took that extra step, and and you know he educated himself as well. Became a uh, a well recognised coach. And and reflecting on on the enormity of of being chosen to play for your country at this time, uh, what else do you remember of of family and friends and people around you? Uh, uh, there wasn't a lot of media reporting at the time, but uh, but if you you go through the archives, uh, uh, the 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 test match was certainly acknowledged, and and there's no question that it was recognised as. Uh, as a, a breakthrough event, do you have memories of of uh, the uh, the feedback? Let's just say from the community at the time, and uh, and um, the the um, the fact that it was something that was really uh, getting off the ground in a way that um, that was in its burgeoning stages. Yeah, look, it, for, for us, I mean, it was the national team. We were. The Australian women's football team or soccer team back then, and you know we're representing our country. There was nothing bigger for us, um, but as you say, you know there wasn't a lot of uh, publicity around it. There wasn't a, a lot of uh, recognition within the community. So, um, and that hadn't changed for many many years. We'd we'd you know done the hard yards with various uh, fundraising exercises from you know the first day I, I started playing. So. It, it was no different for the national team, and I, I remember doing up, you know, flyers, pamphlets, mm. and walking around the Sutherland Shire and dropping them in people's letterboxes to to let them know about the game. And, um, you know, it, it that's the way it was. Uh, mm. It wasn't a big sport back then. It wasn't uh, it wasn't well addressed publicly, um, but it it still meant you know, the world to the people who were playing. And, of course, all our families that, you know, their undying support and, and all the um, administration as well who, you know, went above and beyond just to get us on the field. So we're yeah. going back to that time and uh, you don't play that often. And as we indicated off the top of the show, you know, there, there weren't these opportunities to play 100 caps in your career. You know, the, the, the no. volume of, of matches that you played was was a, a very large number in the context of how often you played back in these days. So we're, we're jumping forward to the Oceania Cup in 1983. So this is four years on and, and it was the first time Australia actually played a team that, that wasn't the football ferns. The, the first, I think it was eight times you played an international yes. was against New Zealand and, and yeah. this is in the Oceania Cup in New Caledonia who you happen to play New Zealand in, in a thriller in extra time and uh, and go down That's to, right. as you say, the old enemy in, in the final. Yeah, look, um, everything, as I said before, it was just a whole new world uh, for us and people didn't travel as, as 
you know, freely as they do today. It wasn't just a matter of, you know, getting online and buying a, a plane ticket and, and boom, you're there. Um, there was, you know, you had to go through the travel agents. Um, everything was, yeah, that was all managed for us, obviously. But, um, you know, it just wasn't the same as it is today. So we'd, we'd get to these places and, and speaking personally, I was just in awe. Um, you know, because I hadn't, I was 14 or 15 or 16 traveling to these other countries and, and it just wasn't the done thing for somebody that of that age in that era. So, um, yeah, I, I just anywhere we went, um, it was another experience. It, it was a, a very, very big experience for me. Yeah. Well, and, uh, and, and, and we're starting to get closer to, to the days where, this uh, this World Cup eventually does happen. Um, uh, we, we we fast forward another three years, and 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 this is an indication of how often you did play. Uh, and yeah. uh, the the next team was actually not assembled until the next edition of the tournament in 1986, which was in New Zealand, featured Australia, New Zealand, and Taiwan, as well as New Zealand's B team at the time. Um, yes. And uh, you make the final again, but this time it's Taiwan. Uh, um, in in the final that uh, they get the better of you. You know that last hurdle seems to mm. sort of dog us for for quite a number of years, and I guess that's um, indicative of you know the, the frequency with which we played that level of game. Um, yeah, and when we came back to Australia, of course, you know half the team went off to Victoria and WA, and some off to Queensland. Um, so and we wouldn't see each other again until the next tournament, and then we'd all come together and, and possibly have another camp out at uh, the Agricultural College and, and go again. So, um, yeah, just, you know, the ability to get any team cohesion or um, any sort of uh, frequent competition, international competition, just wasn't available. So, um, and that's possibly why we didn't do as well as we might have playing against the American and European teams for the first time after having played the Kiwis and and, uh, and in the, let's call it the Oceania region at, at the time exclusively, uh, this is uh, a, a real breakthrough for, for the the, uh, the women's, the Australian women's side testing your medal against, uh, um, well, by this stage, the world's best. Yeah, very much so. And, and I can never forget, you know, Norway and China, um, we'd come up against China previously and they were just remarkable athletes and, and well-drilled, as you would imagine. Um, Norway, no different. Brazil. Um, and, you know, we'd, we'd also come up, well, we saw Italy and, and a whole lot of other teams that we, we never were aware of. So, and, and back in those days, of course, because uh, women's sport wasn't that well covered, there was no TV coverage, so we never got to see these people anyway. Um, so coming up against them was just <laughs> it was just remarkable and and um, something you you don't forget because it was another level. Yeah, and that is one of the the frustrating things as as a, a researcher on, on somebody like you, Julie, that that you can do all of the digging and uh, searching across the internet and and you know youtube you think it's a treasure trove for video but but it's very oh. difficult to find some of this stuff and and one of the 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 wonderful little clips that i found was uh 12 months later from this tournament in taiwan is the the fifa 
Women's Invitation Tournament in China in yes. 1988. So, so this is the the tournament that I refer to off the top of the show, which is the Test event. Now, you're still sewing your own Australian crests onto your team tracksuits at this stage. Oh yeah, yeah. But uh, but you, uh, you 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 played. Um, one of the the most iconic matches of your your career um, yeah. when you beat Brazil in that match and there's a, a wonderful piece of footage that is it uh, if you search hard enough on on uh, on YouTube that shows you at, at the at the um, uh, the toss um, it, proudly displaying and we're talking about a, a really uh, striking. Uh, green um mm. i'd call it a sort of a british racing green <laughs> type of color uh and um and you're you're playing brazil uh you make the quarterfinals of this event but you famously beat brazil one nil that that must have been some kind of memory uh to to beat brazil in uh, not uh, only that you know I've, I've come across since the um the goal that was scored and it's just one of the most amazing goals that you know i still believe there was um, and recently when I was in New Zealand for the uh, World Cup draw, um, that came up on the screen, you know, as an indication of there we were in 1988. Um, and here we are now in 2022. And look at, you know, the, the style of play wasn't that much different. So to be able to find that goal and, you know, that was uh, scored by Janine Riddington and it was one of the best goals that I have seen. And, and still is today. And I remember talking to the guys out the back, um, you know, Ian Wright and uh, uh, Jeremy and, and just some of those um, those iconic players in their own right. Um, and they were inspired by that goal. So um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really glad that, you know, I was able to get that out in the public arena so that people can actually get an idea of what style of play we, we were playing back then and, and that it was actually really, really good football. Um, and, but the best thing of all is we did beat Brazil. How good mm-hmm. is that? Oh, absolutely. Yes. I know <laughs> that, uh, you know, you, you're only at this stage 27 years old, which you know, these days a lot of footballers uh, would be not even in their veteran stage. But, but no. uh, it, it's, it's only three years away from that very first World Cup and uh, – and and you don't uh, continue on with your football career uh, to to get that opportunity to play in that in that World Cup. So you continue playing on. But uh, uh, what what uh, marked the end of of your playing time uh, as a footballer on the park? When I, I think back about that, it I got to a point after fourteen years, and I, I looked around me, and you know, as much as I loved the game, and still do. Um, I got to the point where, you know, I was 27, 28, and I had nothing. Um, we'd, I'd spent all my money, left every just about every job I had to to play for the country, and I, I had very little behind me. Um, so that's when I decided to head abroad for about 10 years, um, you know, put the house in order, so to speak, and, um, yeah, and then I, I found my way back here and... Um, yeah, it took me a while to get back to the game. Um, mm-hmm. Well, tell us about then, those 10 years you were away. I mean, uh, um, the... Uh, you know, well, that was all about, you know, sort of uh, getting some funds behind me and, and buying real estate back in Australia. Um, so I managed to do that. But but initially, when I went there, I was still, you know, really wanting to play football. So I signed up with the Nissan uh, football team and I was I was playing there for about a year and a half. Um, but, you know, I, I sort of had to 
have a good talk to myself and think, right, well, you're not here to play football. You're here, mm -hmm. you know, to set your life up. So mm -hmm. um, I stopped playing then and uh, just worked away and, and, you know, got some some things behind me. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and then came back home just in the early 2000s. And, and you've spent your, your life as an educator and uh, and and a teacher and uh, and that was recognized with the the order of australia medal for your, for your services to sport uh, often done um, away from the the spotlight of publicity and uh, and you know you're a humble person julie that that's one thing that really marks out you you know regardless of the fact that uh, you're you're um your fame um, is almost um, latterly in, in your life, despite the fact that, you know, you were playing for Australia all those years ago and it's aligned to the rise and rise of, of the national women's side itself. But, mm -hmm. uh, um, but even to this day, you know, you, you're still at, uh, at the Central Coast Sports College as uh, head of community and marketing and, uh, and still training and, and teaching young uh, footballers uh, to, and not just young footballers, but young people in this country. Yeah, and and that's that's been you know so inspiring. Um, I got together with this uh, this friend of mine at the time, and we um, he had this vision of you know a, a football school at the time you know, where the kids come to school, and during school hours they train, and then they complete their education the rest of the day, and that sort of you know prevents well doesn't prevent but um, enables them to do their training at, at school, not have to travel down to Sydney or up to Newcastle just to get good competition. So um, that was the premise on which the school started and, and it's still going strong in that sense. And, um, you know, if I can drop a couple of names, um, Trent Bahaja has come out of that school. Um, also, Goran Kual, um, he's, he's doing good things at the moment. But, um, Too bad. Yeah, but um, yeah, it was always hard to keep him in the year 12 class, Goran, because he was always so busy but lovely lovely kids so mm -hmm. um and we've also got a couple of girls who have just signed their um a-league contracts with the uh, mariners women's team so mm -hmm. um so yeah it's, it's so inspiring you know we get these kids in they're they're gung-ho for football or tennis or what you know whatever their passion is and um they get the opportunity to train there with all these professional coaches and then do their schooling and um that you know a lot of people I talk to say, oh, geez, I wish I had that when I was young. And I think we all do. Yeah, that's absolutely right, Julian. As we've talked about many times on, on our show, uh, the Central Coast is is a real hotbed it's, it's a, of mm. a sporting passion and football is the only uh, national side represented on the Central Coast. And uh, uh, the fact that um, that you've uh, you've been influential in the careers of 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 players like Trent and and, and Garang and, and and some of the young ladies that have, have signed their first A League contract is is you know certainly. Oh, I'm not going to claim them. influence there. They no. you know I was there and they were there at the same time, but um, yeah. I'm not going to claim I, I, influence. I, yeah, no, I'll, I'll I think I'm going to be the judge on behalf of everybody listening. <laughs> so that's enough for influence in our books. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> before we let you go, though, um, you, you did mention that that special moment at the, the at the the draw, and but there was an even more special moment, which I, I think that for anybody, regardless of whether they've created wealth and fame, and uh, um, and you know they. Uh, are the you know the number one marketable sports person in the world like a Cristiano Ronaldo, but, uh, wow. but there's, no one could ever take away from that moment um, a couple of years uh, before that 
draw over in New Zealand when the uh, oh. uh, the announcement was imminent um, of oh, New Zealand to win the bid, and 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 an image of you is projected onto the sails of Sydney Harbour. It was part of a montage that encapsulated oh. the the forty year the forty year history of the Australian women's national side. And uh, Vince Regar has written a great article in the uh, in the Sydney Morning Herald about that, and you can see that fantastic image of you in uh, in full flight. Uh, on on the uh, Sydney Opera House, what a what a moment that must have been for you, Julie. Oh, and you know, I mean, you, there's so many moments in in my career that you know are, are sort of very emotional. But that um, it was like an out of body experience, you know. And I remember uh, driving back across the Harbour Bridge that night, and and I looked up, and there was an image of of me, and uh, you know, it was just surreal, and. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I nearly drove off the bridge, but, um, you know, and, and just thinking about it, you know, that that image representing all the pioneers and all the slog and, um, and, and that whole reel in itself of just representing what has gone into football to get us to, you know, Sam Kerr, you know, doing a um, backflips and um, to get to the position we are today. And um, when you look at it, sometimes it, it seems like a long, long time since, you know, I first pulled on the boots. But when you look at it, where we are now, that 40-odd years seems so short. So mm. it's just mm. amazing. Yeah, and then you're up on stage at the draw. Recently we saw you there with Carly Lloyd, uh, World Cup winner in our own oh, night, yeah. uh, Ian Wright, Jerry. And, and Jill Ellis. Yeah. yeah, of course. Amazing. And uh, and so the final question, Julie. So the, the, the women who play for the Matildas now um, – do you think that they fully understand the the history uh, uh, that it's living history really um, that has given them the opportunity to uh, to play on the international stage to be professional footballers in their own right to get the big contracts the marketing contracts and uh, and to be treated the equal as they rightfully are uh, to to their male counterparts so do, do they recognize that the the young women of today Oh, very much so. Um, I, I sometimes get the chance to talk to some of them just prior to, you know, events. Um, they're very, very humble uh, girls, um, great athletes and, and very professional. Um, but Football Australia's done, you know, a, a great job in, in getting that story out there um, so that we do know the history and we all know sort of where it started and, and what's gone on. So, they're, they're very mindful of that and, and very, very respectful. So, um, yeah, good good on Football Australia and good on them. They're just uh, – they're so professional. Yeah, well, that's great to hear, Julie. Well, look, as we record um, the Matildas, I go to play Sweden. Uh, Tony Gustafsson's yeah. uh, Are you going? Well, I will be going, that's for sure. And uh, it's one of those things I'll, I've been to uh, Amy Park many, many times to see lots of different sporting events. And yep. uh, it's one of those ones that uh, that I'm really excited to, to go oh, along and see um, and yeah. uh, and then to come back for, for, the, for the World Cup next year uh, uh, when when the event's on. It's uh, it's just so exciting. And, and we, we all hope, um, you know, we're a little bit, obviously, everyone is concerned about this, uh, you know, so-called group of death. Uh, for for next year's World Cup, but hey, you know it's uh, a story that um, if uh, if our girls uh, reflect on the hard slog you did uh, and your uh, teammates did all those years ago, then uh, maybe it might not be a well a Sydney Harbour Bridge too far. No, I don't, I don't think it's as grim as um, it may sound. Um, and 
I think looking back at you know the Matildas and what they came up against, uh, you know when they did come up against Canada and the other teams that like Ireland that they were beaten by, um, there was never a full strength squad, and I think they've settled down a fair bit now, and they're starting to get a bit of momentum behind them. So. Um, if that continues, then then no, I'm not as concerned about that group. Um, it's, it certainly won't be easy, and as you would expect in a World Cup, there's there's no easy game. So, um, mm-hmm. but the you know, like everybody else, I mean, it's going to be hugely exciting, and it's going to be um, people, you know, the public's uh, chance to see world class athletes, world class uh, women footballers, and. Mm-hmm and realise, you know, just what Australia is up against because there are some mighty, mighty good players. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, well on that positive note, Julie, I'm not going to be the sort of the doomsday, um, as <laughs> I have been accused of being about this group so far. We'll, we'll have you on again a bit closer on on our show and, uh, and we'll do some analysis on it. Julie, thanks so much for your time. It's been wonderful chatting to you and reflecting on your career. I can't believe that, uh, uh, you know, uh, we've... Well, it's nearly uh, three quarters of an hour we've been chatting and um, and it doesn't even feel like we scratched the surface. Have touched the surface, yes. All right, thanks, Julie. Until we talk to you next time, it's been wonderful to chat. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, we hope you've enjoyed listening to this edition of Offside with uh, Julie Dolan, the number one cap, Matilda, and uh, just a wonderful woman uh, to, to have a yarn to. And uh, uh, we do hope that uh, you share this with your friends. Subscribe to Box to Box, Box to Box Stoppage Time and Box to Box Offside, wherever you get your podcast. Tweet us at Box to Box NTS and follow us on Twitter. Like us on Facebook and join us throughout the week as our podcasts drop and we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game.